Hey there, and welcome back to SciBurst, a podcast about science, popular culture, and entertainment. We're your hosts, Ella and Isabel, two science communication and sci-fi nerds steering this spaceship into the multiverse of science fun. Mm-hmm. Today's episode, farming simulators agriculture narratives, paleontology, and nature retreat in farming video games. Wow. But before that, let's hear some recommendations. And before we do that, it's super important to us that we recognise that this episode of Cyburst is being recorded on Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. And we'd like to pay our respects to Elders past, present, emerging, and future. Indigenous Australians are the first scientists and artists. So what's your culture snap, Isabel? Yeah, so this year I've actually been completing a 50-book reading challenge. Whoa. Yeah, I, I initially started out with 100, but then realised that it was way too ambitious. <laughs> so I got it down to 50. Um, and I actually want to encourage people to do this because mm. I have learned a lot about myself. I have read books I would normally not read. It has gotten me to read like a variety of different styles and genres. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to talk about the best one I've read so far. Please. Yes. It's called Annihilation and it's from the Southern Reach, Chir- Southern Reach Trilogy mm-hmm. by Jeff Vandermeer. And it was also adapted into a movie a couple years ago by um, Alex Garland, who's also an excellent director and did Ex Machina. If you know that film, it's really good. Um, <laughs> I'm just going off on tangents here. No, and I have so many recommendations. Um, mm. And it's got Natalie Portman in it too. It's, it's fantastic. Anyway, the story follows a team of four women in STEM. Mm-hmm. So a biologist, a anthropologist, um, a psychologist and a surveyor who all set out into a mysterious unexplained area called Area X, which is an ecologically devastated swampland in the southern part of the United States that has its own ecosystem different to the rest of Earth. Um, And it's been closed off to the public. And anyway, the women whose names are actually never revealed. What? Yeah. In the entire book? Yeah. So they're referred to as the biologist did this or like the psychologist did this. That's really interesting framing. Yeah. I don't think anybody is given a name at all in the book. Kind of cool, but I do love a good named character. Yeah. Well, they're named in the movie for the purposes of the like. The movie. movie. Yeah. Um, and anyway, the group of women make up the 12th expedition into the area because all the previous ones have failed due to disappearances or oh. mass suicides or cancers or mental trauma. And this is the first time the, expi- the expedition is made up of all women as well. So they're like, let's try this and see if it works. Interesting. Um, and I don't want to say anything else because it's going to spoil it. So you're just going to leave us there? I'm just going to leave it there. Yeah. So what's your culture snap, Ella? Um, Mine is completely left of field, I think, in comparison to that. I love this recommendation. (laughs) Maybe more related to, you know, the fact that today we're going to be talking a bit about um, farming simulators and games. Mm -hmm. Um, I really want to recommend baking. Yes. Specifically, I'm... I'm a huge baker. I love it to de-stress. I love sharing food with friends. I think it's so wholesome and fun. Um, Specifically this week, I want to recommend baking with berries, Mm. which I've been doing a lot of recently. We're coming back into berry season in Australia. So 
by the time this is out, I think berries should be even cheaper, which we love. Oh, yes. We stan. Um, I'm talking blueberries. I'm talking strawberries. I'm talking raspberries. I'm talking blackberries. Mm, uh, yum, yum. Love, love, love. My two favourites at the moment are um, blueberry pancakes. Yes. I love blueberry pancakes. Mm, like fresh, like make your pancakes, yep. drop the bloobs into them. Yep. Maybe some dark chalky chips if you're feeling it. Oh, Really good. If I you, haven't tried that. Need to try that. If you are listening to this and you're about to make breakfast, I recommend <laughs> that you jump on that. My other, my other berry baking recipe you can do if you're like, Ella, I'm not really in a breakfast mood. Um, mm. Get into berry muffins. Again, you could, you could do blueberries, Yum. blueberry muffins, always a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, blueberry muffins with like a, a cinnamon brown sugar crumble on top. A big, a big win mm. with everyone. Mm-hmm. Or white chocolate raspberry Yum. muffins. Oh my gosh, that is one of my favorite combinations. And I'm sorry for making you all hungry at the start of this podcast, but I'm also <laughs> not sorry because maybe it's maybe it'll motivate us. I don't know. I'd like I'd like to go make some more muffins. Maybe that's what I'll do after this uh, episode. Sounds recording. like a great idea. And you know what else has berries in it? What else has berries in it? Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> was that a segue? I was hear? that a segue? Yes, yes, indeed, it was. So, Minecraft is the best-selling video game of all time. Of all time, how many? How many copies has it sold? Almost two hundred and forty million. That is a lot of copies. That is a lot of copies, and the next most sold one video game. Yeah, I I can't remember what it is, but it's like. 30 million less sold, copy sold. Whoa. Yeah. And you know, the thing about Minecraft is it can be a farming simulator. Hey, is that the topic of today's podcast episode? I think it is, Ella. <laughs> <laughs> so farming simulators are clearly a popular yeah. thing. Especially right now. Especially right now. Um, and even if it's not the main function of the game, it's... In, it's part of game mechanics of a lot of other video games. Yeah, like right before we were recording this, bumped into some friends at yeah. good old good old CPAS all here on a Sunday doing their PhD studies. <laughs> their PhD studies. Um, talking to us about all the different horror games that use farming sim- like farming simulation as like a part of the game mechanic, like not even yeah, a mini game exactly. kind of functionality, but rooted yeah. in the main story. Usually like a horror or some kind of survival mm. game. So, so I'll give some examples. Yeah, um, please. Don't Starve Together. The one that traumatised you. The one that I have trauma from. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Forest. Mm. Um, oh, oh, Rust. Rust. Valheim. Yep. Um, yeah. And also Ooblets just <gasps> came out. By the time this episode comes out, the Ooblets will have dropped on Switch. And I am so excited for this game. I've had like a pin from it for like over two years. I've yeah. not played this game. Um, I've got it on pre-order. I'm so excited. It's like a farming simulator meets like almost like little Pokemon kind of little, yes. little friends who dance. You have dance battles. Yeah, it honestly, it the feel of it seems like it's it's a mixture of Pokemon and Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing is that a is that another? That's another farming simulator we're going to talk about, which later is insanely on. popular too, right? Mm-hmm. And there are just all these examples. We've even got classic uh, the farming simulator game where you 
you know, simulate driving a tractor. (laughs) It's literally called Farming Simulator. Um, Maybe not the most interesting of the Farming Simulator games, but a good one to mention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, so clearly there's a lot of them. They're popular. People like them. People play them. Right. Uh, But what are they actually? I feel like we should explain them to people who might not know what a farming simulator game is. Yeah. So they're basically an, more of an experiential type video game where you pretty much become a farmer um, and you can grow crops, build gardens, take care of animals and land. And usually there's no way of quote unquote winning or a specific end goal. And it's, it's what you may call it. Mm, Kind of like life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I just wanted to have a side note here. I don't mean grinding, which is sometimes interchanged with farming in video games, which is that repetitive action over and over again in search of an item or to like gain experience points to level up. Mm. That is not what I mean. I mean farming simulator games. Okay, awesome. So why, why Ella, do you think we keep making farming sims and why are we talking about them in this episode? Yeah, so there are there are so many reasons I think why we keep making farming sims. Um and some of the discussions I've had with friends have been about because as a game mechanic it's actually really reliable um and a really good base to grow from. There's a lot you can do with the patterns of agriculture, um planting a crop, watching it grow. It's um something tangible that we all kind of understand because it relates so clearly to human life even if you don't have plants yourself, but like we all eat food and like that that comes and we understand the life Mm -hmm. cycle you know even from primary school sometimes in kindergarten before you go to school um I think it's a really easy way for like we see kind of like this um rise of what is called cozy games coming which can kind of be defined as um or I like to think of them as kind of like non-stressful games where Mm. time isn't a factor maybe you don't have to be a very skilled gamer um, I'm a very casual gamer myself, so it's kind of things you can jump in and out of quickly, yeah. play a little bit of, and then go away, and it's not going to impact your, I don't know, stats in yeah. a game. or Sometimes they make you feel bad for leaving for so long, though, like in Animal Crossing. Yeah, they'll be like, <laughs> we didn't see you. But it doesn't doesn't really impact your gameplay um, right. or much of your gaming experience. It's just you can kind of take them at your own pace, which is really nice and kind of in stark in. Uh, you know, stark contrast to a lot of other different games. Um, and that's why we see kind of people who maybe play more competitive games mm-hmm. or first-person shooters or similar uh, taking a step back or like having this as like a break. Yeah, because it's so totally different to most of the games they play. And so many games at the moment are also shooters or like action adventure. Yeah. It's quite a different style. Different style, change of pace. Um, yeah, really good mix. But why are we talking about it, I guess, in this mm. podcast? Because mm-hmm. this is a science and popular culture podcast. And mm-hmm. so far, there's a lot of popular culture. Yep. Um, there are really, really, there's a really, really interesting kind of field being explored or like subfield of gamification of science. Um, and I think we're going to touch on it a lot throughout this podcast. Of yes. How games and their mechanics can feed into not only gamification of, you know, science thinking and literacy, but also 
um, our understandings of agriculture and biology. Absolutely. And paleontology. Absolutely. Um, we found a really, really interesting paper that we're going to link to um, in one of our, our social media posts afterwards. So you guys can all read it too. Um, and the paper kind of like outlines a rationale for why these authors believe that video games have potential, potential to be exploited. <laughs> There's your word again. That's my word. Uh, to be exploited for gain in science education. Um, and that video games are a sort of cultural tool and a really interactive and engaging cultural tool, which I think is a super um, important thing to know about the method of games is that relationship they can have to one person specifically where you yeah. are engaging with them on such a yeah an individual and motivating level. Um, and, yeah, so video games can be used as a cultural tool to support scientific literacy in terms of um, your knowledge and, like, the content base of that to explore that. Uh, it can help right. you understand skills and processes. Yeah. Um, and also the nature of science more generally. So there's, yeah, lots of different ways that, Game, mm -hmm. games and gamification of science can play into mm -hmm. our own personal understandings and knowledge bases of science. Yeah, and I quickly want to say that farming simulators as a form mm. of gamification are... Most farming simulators are not photorealistic. No. They have a, like, retro animation type of cartoony style. They're, like, super stylized yeah. and aesthetic as well. And the really interesting thing about that style of computer game is that from research, they found that that cartoon-based game is more effective than photorealistic games in facilitating learning. Which is super interesting, right? Because yeah. I'd kind of expect it to be the opposite. Me too. Of of what you see is what you get. I'd much rather, or I would think, you know, seeing photorealistic crops sprouting is what people want. But I guess it's kind of almost that abstracted level of um, you make connections on this maybe game base that you can apply to real life rather than being the exact same thing. Yeah. So that's why Farming Simulator, I guess, maybe isn't as much of an engaging game because it's... Good point, actually. It's taking exactly what someone's job could be of driving a tractor... And yes. just putting it into a game rather than yeah. using all the benefits of a game, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the ways it can be unrealistic and the ways that mm -hmm. you can feed in things that maybe in real life don't 100% feed into it, but you can make yeah. that a game mechanic. Yeah. Like Minecraft, like for example. Like Minecraft? <laughs> so I really want to start by talking about Minecraft because it is the best-selling video game. First search return in Google when you look up most popular video game and Yes, it's a sandbox game, which means it's pretty much limitless in what what you can do with it. But it can also be a farming simulator if that's how you want to use it. Yeah, it's just one of the ways you can enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and I'm realizing now that Minecraft probably deserves its own episode in this podcast because it's a future episode tease this might be a future episode tease <laughs> <laughs> since ella got to talk about pokemon i get to talk about minecraft i love it i'm so here for this because i'm pretty sure that that is probably the game that i have the most hours on good for you get it <laughs> <laughs> um so one of the things minecraft does is that it introduces people to participatory planning what's that designing okay so that can include like agricultural design um so it, it enables players to easily design using blocks to build and modify structures like 
lakes and vegetation and so on. Mm. So that's one thing. But the crop farming in Minecraft is actually also quite particular. Yeah. Um, I had a did a quick Google search and there are some very long Minecraft wiki pages just <laughs> dedicated to farming in Minecraft. And so I'll give an example of the particularities. So the seeds, for instance, won't grow unless they are on tilled soil and next to water. So you're going to meet well. all these kind of conditions. Yes, exactly. Um, and even to till the soil, you'll need a particular tool that you need to craft for it. Um, and you can also accidentally trample the dirt and ruin the farm. No. So you actually need to create actively create ways of protecting the farm using fences or blocks or whatever it is. And I'm not I'm not actually sure if that's the case in other farming simulators like Stardew Valley or Yeah, it's not not really the case in Animal Crossing. Like I guess if you run across the flowers exactly. you can destroy them. Um yeah. so you'd be just setting barriers for you rather than for Mm-hmm. Other things roaming in the wild, I guess. I just thought that was a little interesting way of encouraging like protection of crops in the environment. Yeah, so you're not just thinking about the farming, but like other elements that go into it. Exactly. Um, plus the crops only grow during the day when there's light. Unless you use torches, which doesn't make sense. But, but it gets people thinking about what are the essential elements. What do you need for farming? Yeah. Yeah, like what do, what do plants need for photosynthesis to occur to like exactly. have food you need a light source and if exactly. that light source happens to be a torch which makes players think about <laughs> needing a light source I still think that's a yeah. really valuable element yeah right oh my gosh and I forgot like mushrooms you can grow underground as well in like dark spots <gasps> that's so cute yeah I love it so there's like very particular ways um of um creating farms mm-hmm. um also bone meal you can use which accelerates growth and it's pretty much the equivalent of a composter because you create it using unwanted materials like bones yeah um and overall with farms you can make them a they become a renewable source of food for you as a player if you're playing on survival mode you need to stay alive and that (laughs) is how you stay alive (laughs) by farming um and used for game progression or animal breeding. Ooh. So that's that's kind of sick. Yeah, very much. Kind of that holistic agriculture, not just horticultural. Exactly. Yeah, experience. Yeah. Um, something else is you can also build automatic farms or semi-automatic farms through this um, element in the game called Redstone, which mm-hmm. lets you be an engineer, essentially. And you can do these little create these little circuits and mechanisms that will like farm for you like collect the crops and take care of it yeah so it's it's also encouraging engineering yeah um and also one last thing I want to say is that there's a version of Minecraft that started around 2021 I think called Farmcraft which is a tweaked version specifically made for engaging and teaching students about modern farming and its impacts on the environment oh just casually just casually just casually yeah I think it was in collaboration with John Deere so wow 
Yeah. Um, and so also created to inspire youth to pursue university degrees and careers in agriculture. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty much made up of missions, um, farming missions like growing and planting and harvesting crops and replanting crops as well. Yeah, so it touches on quite a few different areas of STEM, right? So many, which is why I'm like, it's its own episode. <laughs> and I just just then had to contain it to agriculture. Yeah, I can see you've got quite tight notes on this. But So we've already covered environmental conservation, yep. um, engineering, agriculture, which I think is often an underappreciated area of STEM, is the amount of science so. that goes into, yeah. you know, growing growing crops and even Mm -hmm. caring after animals. It's one of those ones that draws from other fields of STEM, like, you know, engineering, biology, chemistry. Everyone knows. Like, that's that kind of comes to mind when you think of STEM, but how often is it, like, an image of a Uh a farmer? Uh Like, that is is quite a specific type of scientific intelligence, I Mm -hmm. think. Yeah, we should acknowledge more. And I think um, these games hit on quite well and maybe – Maybe that's one of the elements of how it can bring in so many players is that it's kind of like surprise science. Uh-oh, Uh-oh. you're a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. Yeah, it's really cool. So Minecraft, right? Yeah. Number one selling video game of yep. all time. Yeah. Really cool. Um, A super, not I wouldn't say a rival to it, but uh, <laughs> a game that especially during lockdown and COVID 100%. lockdown took up so much of people's time mm. maybe away from minecraft maybe in addition to yeah. who can say um is animal crossing mm. which was scheduled for release it's amazing almost at the same time that everyone into lockdown and it kind of became uh-huh. almost synonymous with yeah my like what i think about when i think of lockdown is like not being able to leave my house uh-huh. um and playing playing animal crossing and you know being being isolated but having having yeah. that kind of world to escape into and it was huge, huge culturally, I think, especially for people um, in our age range. Yeah. And probably, you know what, people who have never played Animal Crossing before, but they were like, oh, this like game is coming out and this could offer me an, a way of escaping the current like pandemic. It kind of became the thing to do. Yeah. And I really want to talk about it. Yes. Um, and I'm going to go into a whole bunch of, <laughs> you know, how it feeds into science in a second, but I want to talk about first about how we you know, kind of saw that as a way to be in an outside and social world at a time that we couldn't really. Um, yeah. And kind of bringing this idea of the outside and the natural indoors with us in a simulated environment. Because I think that was a huge reason as to why it was so popular. Like, mm. yes, you can engage with your friends online. It's, um, you know, more realistic to life because it's time mimics the time zone that you're in and yes. it's minute by minute, unlike, you know, maybe Stardew Valley, which yeah. um, time moves at a different pace to you in the real world. Um, but in, in Animal Crossing, everything's okay. There's no COVID. You're on a nice, <laughs> nice little island trying to pay back like a capitalist raccoon. <laughs> you can pick your own furniture. Um, you can leave your house. You can go on adventures, you can catch fish. You are surrounded by animals. Yeah, I think when you have to be trapped indoors, it's kind of like the ideal Mm. is the the world and the escapism that Animal Crossing provides for you. Yeah. Um, This wasn't the first Animal Crossing game. I think it's maybe in its fourth variation or something. I have no idea there's been a few. There's been a few, but I think this is 
this was the biggest one, I think, especially because of the time that it came out in. Mm. So let's talk about how it relates to science and yes. some, some scientific concepts. Yes, tell me, Ella. Let me, let me tell you about the conservation messaging mm. within Animal Crossing, which I think is often underappreciated or, again, kind of like sneaks in secretly and you don't realise how cool the mechanic <laughs> is that you're engaging with. So within the world of Animal Crossing, within the game, you can dig up fossils, you can catch bugs and fish, um, and you can take them to the museum. You're on a desert island. It has mm. no houses when you first get there. <laughs> um, but it has a museum. You put up a museum. It starts out as a little tent <laughs> and then no it becomes... <laughs> no houses, but there's a museum and a store, question mark. Yeah. Um, and you set up a tent, it becomes a museum, and you take these little findings that you have, which are fossils or bugs or fish, yes. to the museum, and you get they you get them identified so you understand what type of fish or bug yeah. or fossil it is. And then you can donate what you've found yes. to the museum and populate the museum with kind of like your own own discoveries, mm-hmm. which is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And then they're on display for the whole little village to see that you make on this <laughs> island. Um, but also for your friends, if you play socially and online, to come see two kind of like bragging points as to who can finish their museum first. <laughs> that is very much the case. <laughs> uh, but what we see in this game mechanic is actually a lot of conservation messaging. So we've got the digging up of fossils, how that relates to, you know, paleontology, um, yeah. identifying of fish and bug species. Those are two completely different scientific disciplines in their own right. And yet you are doing... All of them at once is just someone who lives on an island. Yes. Yeah. You're specializing in many different areas mm-hmm. um, and every character is capable of this. Yep. And it's also through um, a collaborative system mm-hmm. where you do the discoveries and you take them to somebody else to help you identify them. I think that's mm. that's a really cool thing to replicate. Hello, citizen science. Citizen science in my game? Ooh. It's more likely than you think. <laughs> Uh, other ways the game, you know, kind of hijacks you, your brain, for some more <laughs> slight conservation messaging is by making you really aware of what's on your island. So in Animal Crossing, you want your island to be pretty. You want it to be decorated well. You don't want there to be lots of clutter and trash, quote unquote. Mm. Um, trash is things that maybe you've dropped. So maybe you don't have enough space for like all your cool things in your um, house but if you drop items that have placed them, it gets counted as trash. And the game actually <laughs> says, hey, your island's a bit messy. Clean hey, up. you're littering. Excuse me. Yeah. And at times this um, litter can also uh, include leaf litter. So the, the game mechanics promote you to go around and pick up and clean up your island, which is really, really cool. Yeah. I remember spending so much time weeding as well like yeah. pulling out all the weeds because <laughs> if you don't they replicate and you get more yes weeds. they just keep coming back oh my gosh yeah so it's really kind of rewarding you for interacting and paying attention to your natural environment um and it does this through another mechanic too where even even leaf litter even weeds um shells you find on the beach yeah um you can take all of these and craft with them so it's kind of like recycling and repurposing natural items to be useful. Um, and I think also plays really well into that sustainable conservation messaging because if you yeah. cut a tree too many times to get wood, mm. your tree falls down, you can't get any more wood from it. But if you take a little bit, yeah. a little bit each day, 
you're going to be fine. And that's, you know, really promoting sustainable ideals yeah. as a game mechanic that I don't even think I thought about until we started trying to think about it. Yeah. So um, actually, now that you mentioned that, that, that game Don't Starve Together, which I briefly mentioned. The horror the survival. Yeah. <gasps> it has a mechanic in it where if you chop down too much wood, then the tree will turn into this like monster tree and start attacking you. So you actually need to be careful about how much you're taking. Good for the tree. <laughs> Good for the tree. Get a tree. Get a tree. If someone's attacking you and you're a tree, just turn into a monster and eat them. This is my hot tip. <laughs> the did you did you want to talk about the flower breeding? Yeah. Mechanic? That's interesting. That. So another another funky fresh thing in Animal Crossing is um you know, you can buy flower seeds and grow your own flowers and make your island pretty in that way. But if you set them up in a certain way, potentially one that represents or replicates kind of a Punnett square situation, mm-hmm. uh, you can have to crossbreeding of flowers. So this is the game stepping in firmly, stepping firmly into the world of biology and plant genetics to say if you cross a red and a white flower, you can get a different, like a pink flower. And if you cross... Yeah. Um, a yellow and red, you can get an orange flower and you do that through planting them close enough and yeah. watering them and hoping sick, hoping that over time um, and over days, you will cross-pollinate a new breed, so a new species of flower that will produce a certain type of colour. Yeah. And it became kind of another like status symbol of brag to your friends. It for sure did as well. Yeah. If you could grow all the different flower types, especially blue flowers... Mm. and especially um, golden ones, which you can only reach if your island is also free right. of trash and, you know, perfectly beautiful and stunning. Oh, and my gosh, is that really true? You can only get it unless you've got a five-star island. Oh, I see. Yeah, see, I didn't play it for too long, so I didn't know. Unrelatable. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think that's really, really cool, the way that the game is promoting um, not only mm. visible genetics, which is, you know, being able to cross red and yellow and getting an orange flower mm-hmm. but um these you know colloquially they're referred to as hybrid flowers so you can't buy them in game you can only get them from breeding them yourself or from a friend gifting you one uh is that they also had to reach certain colorations particularly blue mm. you had to make sure you had a hybrid yellow flower oh my which gosh. is a yellow flower that is the result of not pure yellow parent flowers i see wow so they've actually put a lot of thought they put a lot of thought into it because invisible genetics that you couldn't see as a player contributed to things you can see as a player Damn. so there are like whole whole articles on how do you correctly and hopefully get to blue flowers in the shortest amount of time because it also takes days like you can't just instantly put flowers next to each other like it you have to water them and some time has to pass and wow yeah like this was this was well thought out yeah and this is just one one little element. This is just one thing. And, you know, um, so clearly the, the game developers have put a lot of thought into the science aspects of this game. Yeah. The flowers and Punnett squares is just one way. Another way is in paleontology. Okay, tell me more. I'm super excited. Oh, I'm super excited to talk about this. So, like Ella said, you can dig up fossils Um from the ground I don't know what there's like a limit I think to how many you can dig up I think they give you three three a day that you can dig. yeah right and you can take them to the museum to an expert to get mm. them assessed and he will tell you oh this is this type of dinosaur 
The expert bone. is an owl. It's important to me. You all know that. I love blathers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I found this YouTube video of paleontologists playing Animal Crossing during the pandemic. Um, and so they do a walkthrough of the museum and they were actually very impressed with the detail and the accuracy of not only the groupings of the dinosaurs, so but also how they're, displayed. How they're displayed, but mm. also um, the bone structures. Um, the diversity of... Um, the diversity. Yeah, different dinosaurs. Yeah, so that's that's kind of cool. And the other interesting thing is when you find a fossil, there's a few different things you can do with it. And we had a big old conversation about this the other day because <laughs> we didn't realise how many different things you can do with it really and what the game encourages you to do. Yeah, so... The three main ways are you can keep it. Well, so after you've after you've gotten it assessed by an expert, you can keep it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You can donate it to the museum or you can sell it to Tom Nook, the tycoon trillionaire that we all know and love from Animal Crossing. <laughs> the perpetuator of capitalism within my tiny within my tiny island ecosystem. <laughs> Thank you for keeping it real, Tom Nook. I will um, never pay you back. <laughs> And so it actually makes you feel bad for selling it. Yeah, because you know that you could use it to further um, the museum knowledge. Because when you get it assessed, Blathers Mm. tells you if they have it in the museum or not. So he's like, oh, we don't have this one. Would you like to donate it? And it's always a secondary choice. You get it assessed. It yeah. never assumes you want to give it. You have to say yes or yeah. no every single time. And then he's always sad when you say no. Yeah. <laughs> and the other the other one is if you don't sell it, you can keep it in your house. But like, yeah. imagine having a fully stocked kind of museum in your house, That's knowing the museum so, is empty. Yeah, exactly. So I think the game, yeah, really rewards you for... Mm-hmm. furthering everyone's experience not just your own yeah which i i really like and i think um is true to the values uh, that science is built on yes yeah for sure um and the other thing about the paleontology aspect mm. of animal crossing similar to jurassic park has it has actually inspired people to pursue paleontology animal crossing has animal crossing has that's yeah. sensational yeah, um, and we had a bit of a discussion about this a few days ago too, how it actually provides an update on the cultural image of a paleontologist. That's love, 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 love. different love. to Jurassic Park because Jurassic Park is definitely the stereotyped explorer safari look <laughs> of, of a paleontologist who's like, ooh, sick dinosaur. And like they're obsessed Yeah, it's with still the an archetype. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas in this... Well, first of all, it's you who's doing it. And you know it's a representation of you because you get to control what you look like on a day-to-day given basis. Exactly. That's the thing. You get to control your outfits and you can dig up the fossil in a dress if you want to. Yeah. You and could blue hair. Dig it up in like a t-shirt that says, I love dinosaurs. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't matter, but it does matter, I think, that it can be anyone. Mm-hmm. And it can look like anyone, even in the even in the cartoon world of Animal Crossing. The fact that it can look like anyone, and that that's our cultural image update. Yes, that's really really cool. Awesome, I love updates on stereotypes of scientists. Yeah, it makes the world <laughs> a little bit better. Yeah. So Animal Crossing, that's a that's a really really big Oof, farming yes. simulator right now. Mm. Um, but one I think that has died down a little bit 
since the, since the end of uh, particularly Australian lockdowns. That's, you know, my own lived experience that I'm going with and the lived experience <laughs> of a lot of my friends is that we kind of all stopped playing as we were able to go yep. back outside. And yeah, as life got better and playing Animal Crossing reminded you of when maybe life was a little bit not as good. <laughs> Actually, that's probably why I stopped yeah. playing. Yeah, that's probably part of the reason. I don't like going back to it anymore because it kind of reminds me of mm. like not being able to have like a choice yeah. in where I, when I could go outside. Yeah. Oh, I, re- I reckon people will go back to it again when the next one comes out, whenever that is. Yeah. I'm sure they're working on another one. I mean, you'd be silly not to after how much success it was. Mm, true. But another, another farming simulator that's had really big success, I think, before Animal Crossing came out. Yeah. Maybe less so during it, but everyone was kind of getting into that farming simulator kind of vibe mm. and is still going now at a rate that I don't think Animal Crossing is being played at. Yeah. Is Stardew Valley. Yes. Stardew Valley, which is actually based off Harvest Moon, which is an even older... Which is one of the original farming simulator games. Yeah. Yeah. So, confession about Stardew Valley. Tell me. I haven't played this game. Sacrilegious. (laughs) You've played it a little bit, right? I've played it a little bit. My best friend was really into it. I didn't like it that much. I was really into Animal Crossing and that had me hooked. Yeah. Um... Okay, so you're going to have a better idea of Stardew Valley than me. But well, I, I'm still going to let you explain it. <laughs> but I have watched gameplay. So I have, a, I have a general idea of what's going on in this game. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much it's an indie farming simulator where you give up an urban desk job to go and revitalize the family farm. Because I think something happens to your like grandfather or something like that. We love the storytelling emotion. <laughs> yeah. Um, Again, lots of freedom. You can complete quests at your own pace. Or you can just explore the world if you don't even want to do that. Yeah, you can just ignore quests, right? Yeah. Sick. I love yeah. open world games. And um, as you progress, you become embedded in the local community, which is called Pelican Town. Such a cute name. <laughs> I think that feeds into the aesthetic too. I Oh, for sure. Mm. Um, where you can farm, forage, fish, mine to improve the farm mm-hmm. and make friends and if you choose either restore the community center or purchase membership at Joja Mart which is the big box corporate superstore okay so one of these is feeling very like cutesy wholesome love my town love my community love my place and one of these is feeling a little bit capitalistic. I, that's very much the case. Just like a little, <laughs> just like a little bit on the nose, really. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So um, I found an article which described the game as a pitched as a playground for agricultural production and rural exploration with a retro vibe. Ooh. And a fun fact, this mm-hmm. came from an agricultural journal. Like a peer-reviewed yes. journal. Yeah. Based in agriculture. Yes. Was talking specifically about Stardew Valley. About this game. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and so this article is focused on how Stardew Valley affects agricultural narratives and Ooh. the image of farmers. Tell me about that. That's super interesting. Yeah. So the main finding was that Stardew Valley reinforces classical, idyllic, agrarian beliefs where... Um, agriculture is not seen as an occupation, mm-hmm. but a wholesome lifestyle. Whoa. Um, and its entire purpose is to sustain communities in addition to fields and pastures. So farmers are seen as uh, 
basically the bedrock of society, which I think is interesting. Mm. Um, and that all of the local businesses exist to serve the farmer. Oh, that's a very world rolls around you kind of kind of ideology. Yeah. Um, and so I'll give an example. In the game, Stardew Valley, the local residents are never seen using the blacksmith or the carpenter or the fishing hut. And they can be found shopping or at the library, but there's never a queue. Hmm. And it also rewards you for your hard work and grinding to sustain the farm. Yeah, I guess the game is set up for you as the player, so it does make sense. Yeah. So so it is a very idyllic view of farming and agriculture. Um, but the author of this paper argues that it also reduces the social consciousness of contemporary farming practices and perhaps is environmental impacts. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah. Mm. 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 So it's like good in one way, but then there's also a flip side to that where it's, yeah, when you start thinking about industrialised agriculture and... It's not, this this world doesn't fully give in to all those complexities. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and the, the author also goes on to talk about how the, the creator of Stardew Valley did spend a bit of his childhood playing near a rural wetland, but he's also what the author calls part of the desk chair countryside. What a what a phrase. <laughs> Which, yeah, I think is a really interesting phrase because I'm probably part of the desk chair countryside yeah. as well, um, which is a group of people who primarily experience farming and agriculture and rural life through computer screens. Yeah, which I, I think is super interesting as someone who one of my only escapes like from my house uh-huh. in COVID other than escape isn't an animal crossing was like going to feed my sheep and take care of my lambs. Yeah. Um, but that is a very, I think that is <laughs> one area that I have a lot of experience in, but I think in every other area, like especially like plant genetics, I'm definitely mm. a desk tech country countryside player. So it's super mm-hmm. interesting seeing, seeing that phrase and seeing it articulated like that. Yeah. Um, and so it results in this idyllic perfect view of agriculture and like I said less awareness perhaps of the industrialized agriculture so it potentially it's desensitizing people to current social and environmental justice issues related to agriculture yeah because it's just presenting one view Mm -hmm. but I guess that's also why we like it right it's like a simplified game gamified version of this really really complex system that is integral to society yeah yeah um but i will say Mm -hmm. someone else argues that stardew valley reconnects people to nature and ecology through its environmental ambiance audio love this is super interesting and I'm upset because I couldn't read the full, it's a chapter in a book and I don't have access to it, which means I can't give other people access to it either. At ANU, please Back. update. <laughs> please update our um, access yeah. to these cool so things. It, it's from a book that is all about like um, music in video games. We're going to have to buy that book. I'm going to have to, it was like $70 or something, which is We're going to have to request that our library buys that book. <laughs> um, so in this chapter, they 
I know from the summary that they talk about how music and environmental sounds um, in the game model ecological principles Ooh. and facilitate playful interaction with the materiality of nature. So I, I don't have an example, unfortunately, because I couldn't read mm-hmm. the chapter, but I went and listened to some Stardew Valley music. Beautiful. Love it. <laughs> like an autumn forest one. And it's gorgeous. Stunning. Because it is very much like you can hear the sounds of the trees moving and the water flowing and the like birds chirping and moving around. Wow. So I get it. It makes sense. Mm. And um, this is, it, it apparently plays an important role in the game as well. The listening action, yeah. but it's not, explicitly stated in the directions of the game which is interesting too super interesting yeah i i love this idea of you know reconnection Mm -hmm. to nature and ecology through through audio through playing video games um i in thinking about this topic i've been thinking about concepts of bringing the outside in yeah so bringing yeah bringing nature onto a screen where you can enjoy it maybe when you can't enjoy nature or um, yeah, just like another way to kind of like cement it in your life. I think similar to the idea of houseplants and how they recently had a revival. I think (laughs) this is kind of the, the um, video e version of that is through video games. Um, I want to talk about this really, really cute thing that my friends did. Um, and they, these are my big Stardew Valley friends who love playing <laughs> the game, is that they got inspired by some of the recipes you can bake as a mechanic within Stardew Valley. I love that. They got so inspired that they caught up specifically with the purpose of recreating <laughs> some of these beautiful looking little pixelated stylized dishes from the game. They caught up to make those together. And yes, I think that's such a, cute. a beautiful connection and maybe a reconnection of people to, mm. to food And you're thinking about where the food comes from because it's Uh directly in relation to an agricultural-based game. Exactly. I just think that's so, so lovely. Yeah. And, yeah, so that's on kind of like a food level. There are also academic papers that talk about the concept of bringing the outside in. Ooh. Um, And I found one that's an ecology paper. And it's talking about ownership and making personal connections in a classroom environment. Um with the outside world specifically uh, with like a forest kind of scenario and with um, yeah, a horticultural kind of scenario where different people in the classroom each kind of picked a plant and it's like a adopt a plant scenario where <laughs> it's just that's your plant to look at and to understand and then share with people the information you found about it. Yeah. And because you're bringing that knowledge of the outside world into your classroom but through a personal lens, mm. people care about it more. And then when this classroom goes for like walks outside, they're like, oh, this is so-and-so's plant because they then have that extra, extra layer of- More of a connection. Understanding and the connection grows. Yeah. And though this paper doesn't directly talk about gamification, I think the two are really well linked. Mm. And I think it comes down to that level of engagement is Mm -hmm. that this is an activity that's set up to engage with people. Yes. Um, And video games inherently engage with people in a story-driven mode. And I think the two are so compatible- that I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. So, so cool. Amazing. Um, 
And I think it's really interesting to see education um, and educational activities take that direction of engagement. Yes. Um, because I think it's those novel ways of engaging that are super, super interesting. They break the mold. They let us do something new and exciting that makes a lot of neural connections, a lot of pathways, a lot of knowledge. Mm. Oh, we're talking about neurons now. Talking about neurons. <laughs> <laughs> talking about um, the physical structures of your brain yeah. that are part of your memory making. Yeah. Yeah processes and the more ways you can connect neurons together the stronger those mm. connections are which is why if you connect a tree not only to or the information about a tree to a picture of the tree plus a living version of the tree plus the fact that your friends knew about that tree that's lots of different ways to cement yeah. the learning in your brain yeah and kind of like what you said before it's helping make farming and agriculture visible yeah as well like for sure now you know where the food is coming from yeah, now now you're thinking and about it because you're it thinking relates, about it, too. it relates yeah. to the food that you see on the supermarket shelves in a way it didn't before mm-hmm. because you have that other layer of context. Yeah, yeah. I love um, every now and then just reminding myself that memories are physical, and your knowledge pathways are physical. Mm-hmm. That's what your brain is. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, that's something that I don't think about enough that I'd like to think about more. That is not something I've thought about before. But that is an interesting way of thinking about memory. Would memories. you like to have an existential crisis? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe after this podcast recording. Sorry to anyone who also hasn't thought about that. I thought that was normal. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Talking about um, new and novel ways of engaging with things. Mm. I want to talk about the game Flower. Yes. So this is a game by That Game Company. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good name it, all one word that game company they made um journey uh sky um flow i think which is kind of like a cell version but mm. flower is um a game who the, the the mechanics are so novel and the way of exploring the world is so new that i'd never experienced it before yeah um and i said to ella last week too that I think I encountered this game at a gaming exhibition which is about the evolution of video games and this was like the last one that you played yeah just interesting so I um worked a game exhibition called Mm. Game Masters this Um, is a different exhibition to the one I went to by the way so the fact that it's been in two different game (laughs) exhibitions is huge but I played it at this game exhibition it was in kind of like our movers and shakers like games that had high impact um so it was in the same room as Minecraft which I think is Another really interesting yes. connection to bring in. Yeah. But the the kind of the way of playing flower is you start off as a singular flower petal mm. and through the controller, you tilt, guide this flower petal through an environment to collect more flower petals, to interact with the environment, to kind of like go on, go on a, yeah, a journey through the environment mm-hmm. to get to the end of, a, end of a track and join up and make other flowers bloom. And it's gorgeous and it's beautiful and it's one of the most emotional connections I've had to a video game playthrough. Like it's so mm-hmm. intuitive and yet beautiful and it grips you. Yeah. And it makes you really, really aware of um, two things, which is uh, the natural world, because that's the perspective that you see it from, your flower petal, but also any environmental changes. So sometimes there's a flower petal, you're zooming around power lines that have fallen down or there's like yeah. an electrical storm. Um, and on that scale, you really feel it and it kind of sits in your chest and it's gorgeous. And I think from an environmental perspective, it makes us 
uh, emotionally motivated and connected. Mm. And that's so cool as to how games can impact us. Yeah, it's like now you're no longer part of nature. You are nature. Yeah, and I think that's a disconnect sometimes as humans we think we have Mm -hmm. is that we're not part of nature. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to bring this back to the concept of of nature in literature and the concepts of nature and retreat in literature. Yes, tell me more. So I did I did this course um, last year at ANU. I also have an English major, English literature. And this is maybe one of my favorite, favorite ever literature courses. It's on American literature and the mm. concepts and themes of nature and retreat. And one of the authors that we spent a lot of time with is um, Emerson, who wrote a book-length essay called Nature. Um, and I also found this great paper talking about his essay and this concept of the biological sublime. Mm. Oh my gosh, yes. This I love is this. a phrase that I think links so well to the game Flower. Uh, this paper kind of says that the biological sublime can be thought of as the moments when we realize that our bodies are finite and that natural processes go on whether we like it or not. And more importantly, they continue whether we like it or not. So I think this is... This is huge. Yeah. This is huge. And sorry, like, sorry, not sorry about the existential crises, but, <laughs> you know, our place in nature and the fact that, you know, this also relates to ideas of potential. And this is the course where I became obsessed with the idea of potential because <laughs> that's where that reading came from, is that things are constantly in a flow state between, between life and death. And things are finite. And that's why nature is beautiful and lovely. And why we want to connect with it is because it is us. We, we are nature. And this paper goes on to say that um, it concludes really that as a statement of the biological sublime, Emerson's essay's nature is a challenge to cope with both the glories and the terrors of the human body. Wow. Within nature. Um, we just got real deep for a we're, second. We're there. just getting really, really deep <laughs> for a hot second because I think on one level, games make it really easy to connect on a surface level, but it's the yeah. emotional capacity that I think the concept of the biological sublime mm-hmm. and um, Emerson really hit on. Right. And which is something that the game flower seems to tap into. Yeah. Particularly, I think um, Emerson's Emerson's work is beautiful. It's long. If you want to read it, you can find <laughs> it online for free. It's um, no longer in copyright. So yeah, you can find annotated versions. Um, it's really gorgeous, but there's a few quotes I wanted to pull out. Um, which I think connect really well to these ideas of bringing the outside in, Mm. why we love farming simulators, why we love nature, how it applies to all of us. Um, The first is kind of from the first kind of parts of this essay uh, is a quote that says, I am not solitary whilst I read and write, though nobody is with me. So this is is a concept. I know it's about reading and writing. That's beautiful. But I think it applies to games too is that, while you're doing these things that can be social on your own, mm-hmm. you are not alone, even though there's nobody around you mm-hmm. because it is a way for connection to happen. Yeah. Um, a way for human connection to happen. And Emerson kind of argues that being in nature is how you can be alone mm. because it's not human connection, but it is still a, it's still a fulfilling connection. Mm-hmm. You can be solitary in nature. Um, and in that way, I think video games, particularly farming simulators, have the yeah. best of both worlds. Yes. You can be solitary and not solitary at the same time. All all throughout 
yeah, this beautiful novel experience of of nature and socialization. Um, yeah, and that very, very deep human connection with nature and with other humans. The other quote I wanted to pull out was, nature never wears a mean appearance. <laughs> this is in chapter one of the essay. And I think this is why nature is such a big theme. Yeah. In farming simulators is because nature can be so heavily stylized that it's not realistic and yet never, never mean. Like even trees that maybe you cut down too much in that survival game and become scary and try and eat you. Yeah. But the the point is it's just being nature. Yeah. Um, yeah, the quote kind of goes on to say that the flowers, the animals, the mountains, they reflect the wisdom of his best hour as much as they delighted the simplicity of his childhood. So it's saying nature is reflecting back at you mm-hmm. exactly what you're projecting into it. Yeah. And that wow. 100% is agriculture, yes. right? And horticulture. That's saying that whatever you put into the earth is what the earth is going to give back to you. So if you put in a seed, great. If you mm-hmm. put in seeds and set up for crossbreeding and hybridization to come, yeah, that could also happen. Nature is going to reflect that back at you. Um, and nature is this beautiful beautiful spirit um to find out and explore and enjoy together on your own but in a comforting way yeah wow which is a lot yeah (laughs) i really i really love these concepts and i think it's super fun that though we you know start off saying that this is super science-based yeah or it can be super science-based agricultural games Uh, There's this deeper, not deeper. Damn, it's also kind of philosophical, isn't it? Yeah, I think think nature and our understandings of nature and retreating into it can be really philosophical. We we see this so much reflected in works of art and literature and film and video games, which I would argue, and I have argued in also other English courses, (laughs) um, that video games can form part of literature. Mmm... Mm-hmm. Um, same as interactive text and fiction. Yeah, well, they all have their own narrative in a. Yeah. Well. Doesn't matter what style of game it is, it has some sort of narrative. So I think it's super interesting to view it from this other lens, from a different yeah. literature course. Yeah. But also that it is still scientific and there doesn't have to be, you know, black and white distinctions between art and science and they all kind of feed into this beautiful mess and that's why we yeah. enjoy it and love it so much. Yeah, the world is messy. So that was a lot. That was a lot of things to touch on, all from farming simulators, which up until last week, I don't really think I'd given much thought beyond the thought of, oh, that's pretty fun. And there's a lot of them. I can't even remember how we came up with this idea. I think you were just like, oh, we should talk about farming sims. (laughs) I I said Animal Crossing and you said something about paleontology and we just went boom. That's funny though, that we went from like Animal Crossing, paleontology, agriculture. (laughs) Agriculture. And then me being like, Emerson's universal being. (laughs) Yeah, okay. We uh, we got quite philosophical this episode and I am all about it. Yeah, how do you like your science? We like it with art and philosophy. <laughs> well, clearly, otherwise we wouldn't have done a science in pop culture. This is podcast. very, very true. Well, let's let's maybe jump into our individual sections, bring out this massive lens we've got back to a, yes. a smaller, sharper focus. Yes, so hi, welcome back to Ideas with... Isabel. Ideas with Isabel, my favorite section on the podcast. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit more about Animal Crossing. Please. I think there's something special about Japanese video games Ooh. in game development. Tell me. Remember Pokemon. I remember Pokemon. Remember the amazingness that was Pokemon. And I talked about, I took a cybernetic lens 
at the end (laughs) and talked about how it was encouraging these deep relationships between people and technology and Mm. the environment. Um, And I, I think that Animal Crossing is also, I don't want to say doing a similar thing, but it is um, creating escapism. And especially during the pandemic, it was a source of stress relief for a lot of people. Um, It was used by families as a coping mechanism, both individually, but also communally, because you can visit each other's islands and um, all of that. And so I think a lot of these Japanese games are creating a therapeutic style of gaming. Wow. Yeah. Um, And it comes back to this sort of magical, childlike, innocent quality to Mm. them. Really wholesome and full of wonder. Yeah. And I'd actually, I'd be interested to know who developed Flower because it seems like a similar yeah, a similar, similar vibe. thing. Mm. Yeah, and and I think it's just it's tapping into something we as humans long for in contrast to the big gaming houses and those big like action adventure games like GTA and Fortnite, which we don't necessarily long for, but I do think we yearn for a component farming simulation. I Yeah. Yeah, I agree with this. Yeah, and plus the fact that it's a game that has science in it. Mhm. And science is not usually seen as a source of stress relief or That's escapism. That's very, very true. <laughs> um, and many other farming simulators too, it's not just Animal Crossing, have science in them with mechanics that simulate real world agriculture that you wouldn't usually associate with escapism, but that's what it's creating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I'm going to think about that for forever now. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about X-Men, Ella. Yeah. Well, we're on episode, what, four now? And you know what? Still talking about (laughs) X-Men. Good. Forever. I wanted to talk about um, how, you know, through these farming simulating games that even if you don't think you like STEM can make you care a bit more about science or a specific component, particularly for these things we've touched on today, agriculture or biology or paleontology or bug and fish identifying and collection. Um, I wanted to talk about how one of the reasons that I first um, cared about X-Men First Class, um, specifically the character Charles Xavier, is because I really, really cared about biology and genetics at the time. Mm. And that is what this character is a professor of. And we see him accept his, you know, do his dissertation, write his PhD (laughs) at the very, very start of X-Men First Class. Um, And yeah, this is really one of the things that initially drew me into the story, which I think is super funny because it's kind of like the opposite and a complete contrast to what we've been talking about of people enjoy the story and then they get the science drawn in. It was for me in X-Men First Class, the science drew me into liking, Mm. liking the story and the characters um, and then, you know, caring about it to maybe a too much degree. (laughs) Maybe I care about it too much. Um. One of the one of the things that really, really got me going was the genetic animation in the end credits of X-Men First Class. So the movie's finished. We've just seen this beautiful, beautiful piece of cinema and film history. And no, I will not be accepting any criticisms. I will, actually, but please make them nice. Um, 
And then you get kind of like this genetic animation in the end credits where you see like cells dividing and oh things gosh. changing and it's kind of cool. Did not know this. Yeah. And it makes me equal parts um, excited and like happy to see that depicted, but also like a little bit irritated when there are inaccuracies <laughs> in it. Yeah, of course. Because I care about it. Um, but I just thought that was a really interesting, yeah, interesting idea that I could get bought into a fictional world because of science rather than fictional mm. worlds bringing me into science. Yeah. And I... I want to say it's interesting that they use that as a way of tying everything up rather than I don't know what the opening credits are like do they do something similar in the opening credits I don't think there are opening credits okay so I just think that's a really interesting artistic choice to have the science animation at the end yeah well I guess the whole idea of x-men is you know based on based on people who are different because of mm. genetics. So it's a really, really good way to tie it all together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the end that they don't go back to, you know, just like action adventure that's like, mm-hmm. well, wait, the science, the science in quotations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, at, then it's also like, are they using it to tie it all together or are they using it as like, oh yeah, by the way, science. <laughs> I think they are using it to tie it all the way together. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. The kind of the introduction that we get to Charles as a character is him. One of them is, um, you know, his adopted sister, quote unquote, saying, oh, read me something that sent me to sleep. And he's like, I'm working on my thesis. She's like, yeah, good. That's pretty boring. Essentially. <laughs> and he reads that to her and she falls asleep. And here's some in- inaccuracies in there that as a now biological anthropologist or, you know, mm. having been trained in that area that I find irritating. <laughs> but the fact that that's one of the the openings. Um, yeah. I really like that you come full circle at the end and see see it depicted in animation I still think it's really cool to see and to visualize and even if people don't necessarily know that that's what they're referring to you you kind of see like chromosomes split out and yeah. become cool and yeah uh, yeah kind of like a karyotype which is great for nerds if you don't understand it I could understand <laughs> may it just look like schools on a screen but yeah something cool to to touch on and to think about nonetheless Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Expert so, first class is awesome. <laughs> I feel like I actually need to go rewatch that film because I think I've seen it once. And that's, Movie night? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tempt me. I'll tempt you. Um, I think I think we're going to wrap it up there. Let's, let's do that. Yeah. Um. So maybe some questions for our listeners. Let's bring it back to farming. Simulate this again. Yeah, right back to the start before Ella took us on all these tangents. <laughs> Uh, why do you why do you like if you play them? Mm. Why do you like farming simulators? Or maybe why don't you like them if you don't play them? Yeah, and what what about them draws you in? And mm. especially if it draws you in continuously or draws you in across different farming simulators. Yeah, what's the thing that like connects them all that you really you just enjoy or that you like or you find yeah. cool? And if science is a part of that, let us know too. Yeah, <laughs> and hit us up on all our socials at sci underscore burst pretty much everywhere yeah instagram twitter tiktok yeah you name it we could be there and if we're not there tell us <laughs> um stay nerdy stay please stay nerdy thanks for listening and we'll see you next time thank you to anuc pass for their support and access to their podcast studio